0: Hello everybody, I'm Phil Wilkes. Welcome aboard the Like a Pilot podcast, where we unveil the soft skills pilots utilise every time they strap into those high-speed aluminium and carbon fibre giants we call airliners. This show is your ticket to understanding the how and why behind what makes aviation one of the safest modes of travel. So it's time to fasten your seatbelts and join me now as we embark on a journey through the skies... Where pilot skills become the blueprints for high performance in any field. If you are asked to give a talk on conflict resolution in teams, what pictures immediately come to your mind? Do you conjure images of heated debates, raised voices, maybe a relentless pursuit of compromise? These are exactly the things I immediately thought of when I was recently asked to give a talk on conflict resolution in teams with an emphasis on the flight deck environment. To be perfectly honest, I struggled to think of a time where I'd actually seen serious conflict on the flight deck. I asked many of my work colleagues and we all came to the same conclusion. Everything we do on the flight deck tends to be aimed towards avoiding this kind of conflict in the first place. I spoke to some human factors experts and asked them for their thoughts on conflict on the flight deck. They introduced me to a more nuanced perspective on conflict than what I'd been considering. They asked me to consider that conflict occurs when people believe they have incompatible needs or goals and feel strongly about their position. In this context, where you consider conflict to be an incompatibility of needs or goals, the conflict can very well be internal. I'd like to share three stories with you. They're not pleasant stories in that they involve aircraft accidents in which lives were lost, but there's an immense value in the lessons learned from each. March 27, 1977, Tenerife. A KLM Boeing 747 lines up for takeoff at Los Rodeos Airport in the Canary Islands. The captain behind the controls has previously appeared in KLM advertising campaigns and is the head of pilot training. He pushes the thrust levers forward to commence the takeoff roll. Meanwhile, a Pan American Boeing 747 is still on the runway, unseen in the dense fog enveloping the airport. The resulting collision remains to this day the deadliest accident in aviation history. Spanish investigators suggest the hesitancy of the first officer and flight engineer to challenge the captain's assumption that he was cleared for takeoff may have been due to deference to his command authority and the respect to his management role in the company. December 28, 1978. United Flight 173. A United Airlines DC 8 has an unsafe landing gear indication on final approach to land at Portland, Oregon. The crew make a missed approach and enter a holding pattern to investigate the status of the landing gear and prepare for a possible emergency landing. A little over an hour later, all four engines fail as the result of fuel exhaustion. The aircraft crashes in woods, 11 kilometers from the airport. While crew members had highlighted the diminishing fuel quantity, the USNTSB concluded that a contributing factor to the accident was their failure to either fully comprehend the criticality of the fuel state or to successfully communicate their concerns to the captain. Their report noted that a captain's management style may exert subtle pressure on his crew to conform to his way of thinking. It may hinder interaction and adequate monitoring and force another crew member to yield his right to express an opinion. January 9, 1989. Kegworth. The cabin of a British Midlands Boeing 737 flying from London Heathrow to Belfast starts filling with smoke due to a problem with the left engine. Due to a series of errors related to inexperience with this almost new variant of the 737 and a lack of training in differences from the previous variant they had flown, the crew mistakenly identified the right engine as the source of the smoke and shuts it down. On final approach to land, the malfunctioning left engine fails completely. The 737 crashes, a devastating 475 metres short of the runway pavement. The British Air Accident Investigation Branch found that a failure to inform the crew of sparks and flames from the left engine, observed by many on board, including three cabin attendants, contributed to the flight crew shutting down the wrong engine. Three opportunities to share information. Three opportunities to speak up and have a difficult conversation. Three opportunities lost. Conflict can be a good thing, and sometimes we need to have difficult conversations to avoid or resolve it. From the definition we looked at earlier, there are three areas where conflict can arise within teams – task, a disagreement on the what and how, team processes, a disagreement on the who, and interpersonal differences. So how do we avoid these sources of conflict? Today, I'd like to share with you how we do this on the flight deck. I'm going to do this by discussing three main areas. Creating a culture that supports conflict resolution. Communication, specifically looking at one tool that we use for raising concerns. And the use of process as a means of preventing conflict. Let's start with culture. The investigation into the United 173 accident is considered to be one of the most important in aviation history. Why? In their investigation report, the NTSB recommended that airlines be urged to indoctrinate their flight crews in principles of flight deck resource management, with particular emphasis on participative management for captains and assertiveness training for other cockpit crew members. Within weeks of the NTSB recommendations on United 173, NASA held a conference to examine the potential merits of this training. And in 1981, United Airlines instituted the industry's first crew resource management program. Crew resource management, under its various guises, is now a staple of airlines around the world. One of the key tenets of crew resource management is that for crew members to feel empowered enough to assert themselves and actively participate in the management of the aircraft, they first have to be operating in an environment that encourages this. We use the term authority gradient to describe the differences in perceived or actual authority or power within the cockpit of an aircraft, particularly between the captain and other members of the flight crew. An adverse gradient can result from vast differences in experience levels, assertive or even aggressive management styles, the norms of a deferential culture, or it can come purely from the positional hierarchy. Let's face it, the flight deck is a bit of a benevolent dictatorship. Civil Aviation Safety Regulations invest the pilot in command with absolute authority over the disposition of the aircraft and all of its occupants, passengers or crew. If the authority gradient is steep, there is a significant power differential between the captain sitting in the left-hand seat and the other crew members. The captain's decisions and commands are rarely questioned. Other crew members are deferential to the captain. Let's look at a couple of examples. March 7, 2007, Yogyakarta. The captain of a Garuda 737 makes an excessively steep approach at Yogyakarta Airport, 185 km per hour above the recommended speed, and not configured for landing. The captain ignores repeated warnings from his co-pilot to abort the landing, But at no stage does the co-pilot take the initiative and take over control of the aircraft. The aircraft slams into the runway and unable to stop, plows into a rice field and bursts into flames. The co-pilot had roughly one-tenth of the flying experience of the captain. August 6th, 1997. Korean Air, Flight 801. A Korean Air Boeing 747 is on final approach to the international airport at Guam. Errors by the captain lead to the aircraft becoming dangerously low on approach, but he isn't challenged by the first officer or flight engineer. When the captain is finally urged to abort the approach, it's more of a suggestion that he's made a mistake rather than an explicit warning or instruction. Six seconds later, the aircraft crashes into a hill short of the runway. The NTSB noted that problems associated with subordinate officers challenging a captain are well known. In the 20 years prior to the accident, Korean Air had lost six other aircraft, a loss rate much higher than other airlines during that period. To turn around its safety record, Korean Air addressed legacy issues with the South Korean flight crew culture. In this culture, the captain held absolute authority, and subordinates were highly deferential and reluctant to challenge this authority. To create a cultural shift, Korean Air implemented measures such as encouraging a more open and assertive communication style within the flight crew. Of note, they brought in management from a US airline to facilitate this change. Crew resource management principles emphasize the creation of a shallow authority gradient. This is characterized by a balanced distribution of authority in a collaborative atmosphere. All of this requires a leader to de-emphasize the hierarchical relations and emphasize team decision-making by mutual agreement. So how does a leader establish a shallow authority gradient? By inviting challenge. Hey, I don't know everything. If you see something you don't like, speak up. If I do something rogue, it's most likely a mistake. Or my own personal favourite. If you feel the need to save my pilot licence, go right ahead. I'll buy the beers. By actively seeking input. When a decision needs to be made, seek information as a first step. Generate options based on everyone's input. Seek junior members' opinions first. That is, don't lead the witness. One of the advantages here is that it avoids the bias where junior team members automatically defer to the leader's opinion. Being open to opinions. This sounds a lot like seeking input. It's adjacent, but not the same. It's also adjacent to my final point, which is active listening. Being open to opinions and active listening go hand in hand as they recognise as the leader, that you don't necessarily have all the answers or all of the information. They involve asking open questions and not having a final decision in mind. They involve starting the decision-making process fully informed and cognizant of crew concerns. Some very simple examples of this is when we're making a fuel decision for the flight or discussing threats that need to be mitigated for a departure or arrival briefing the pilot flying will almost certainly open this discussion by asking the most junior crew members for their input. You often see consensus reached on fuel decisions, for example, where crew members never actually find out what number the pilot flying had in mind at the outset. So what of communication for avoiding conflict? Even if the environment, the culture, is set for open dialogue, there is still no getting around that difficult conversations sometimes need to be had to resolve conflict. Sometimes these need to be had in time critical circumstances. This can be particularly difficult if direct communications are not your default style. As part of crew resource management training, many airlines even provide tools for direct communication. One such communication tool for resolving safety or operational concerns is known by the acronym RAISE. Each letter in RAISE represents a stage of escalating concern. Let me give you a real-world example. An aircraft is on final approach to London Heathrow's runway 9 right. Due to systems degradation, the autopilot systems are not working, so the captain is manually controlling the descent. Compounding his workload, It's night time, turbulent, and they're in cloud. So he's totally reliant on his instruments. He's a capable operator, but let's just say he's having to work hard. His extra capacity before hitting overload is diminished. The first officer notices that it's getting very noisy on the flight deck. They've entered a storm cloud. The rain is very heavy. The first officer is concerned their landing calculations may not cover the contingency of the runway being contaminated with water patches. He decides to use the RAISE tool. The R in RAISE is for relaying information. Hey, we don't have landing calculations for a contaminated runway and it's raining quite heavily now. OK, says the captain as he concentrates on flying instrument approach. The A in RAISE is for asking questions. Should we be concerned about water patches? The first officer follows up by asking the tower. It's raining heavily at the field too, but they'll be the first aircraft to land since the downpour has started. The tower therefore really can't add any extra information into the mix. The captain says nothing. The I is for indicating concern. If this rain continues, the runway may be contaminated I'm not sure our landing distance calculations cover this. I think we'll be okay. It's a long runway, the captain says, unconvincingly, busy dealing with the turbulence. The first officer thinks there is plenty of runway available, even if it is contaminated, but he'd feel a lot better if they'd calculated the landing data for a contaminated runway. The S is for offering solutions. The first officer really wants the captain to break off the approach so they consider the ramifications of the heavy rain. This is what he offers up. You know, we have plenty of fuel remaining. The captain responds. Let's go around and update our calculations. Had he not taken the first officer's hint, the final step would be to resort to the E in rays. Emergency language. Emergency language takes the form of some sort of directive – Stop! Climb now! Go around! Or the very direct phrase, Captain, you must listen. If emergency language is used on the flight deck, it is acted on immediately. Questions can and do wait. If emergency language is not acted on immediately, the expectation would be for the first officer to take control of the aircraft. We even have phraseology around that, taking over. When using raise, do you need to progress through all of the steps? No, you can jump in at whatever level seems commensurate with your level of concern or the time criticality. Let's look at another real world example. An aircraft is turning onto its final approach in Singapore. The pilot flying is a captain, training a new first officer sitting next to him. A third pilot, acting as safety pilot for this training flight, notices a large thunderstorm on the weather radar. No one has mentioned it, but it will almost certainly impact a safe approach to land. As no one has acknowledged the storm, he speaks up. What are your intentions regarding the red on the radar? The trigger works, and the captain responds immediately. Tell ATC we're breaking off the approach. We need an immediate right-hand turn. The storm closes the airport. The aircraft lands safely an hour later. In case you missed that one, the safety pilot jumped immediately to the second level of RAISE. He asked a question. But what has this got to do with me? Does Rays work outside of the flight deck environment? It certainly does. As just one example, I've heard of the RAISE tool being used by organisations as a tool for managers and subordinates to call out inappropriate behaviour, such as bullying or harassment. I've also seen it used to escalate concerns and champion change over lax infection prevention protocols within the hotel quarantine environment during the worst of the COVID pandemic. The advantages of RAISE for difficult conversations are that it provides a structure for resolving conflict. It's also a non-confrontational way to add information that a decision-maker may not have been aware of. And, if the recipient has been trained in RAISE, they will recognise the triggers and potentially be more open to what is being communicated. The RAISE tool is something that lends itself to use in the process that we call managing upwards, the process by which subordinates drive outcomes. On the flight deck, we rely on many communication protocols for such things as establishing shared mental models, communicating with intent, and relaying information in a timely manner. The RAISE tool is just one of our tools, but it is a good one when trying to mitigate against conflict. I like to think of it as a tool for helping someone else arrive at a behaviour we want them to be demonstrating, but for them to own that decision. I'd now like to rewind a little. I previously defined conflict in terms of an incompatibility of needs or goals. Within this context, much of the scope for conflict arises due to disagreement on the what, how, who and when of task completion. With this in mind, process is the final key as to how we mitigate against conflict on the flight deck. Much of what we do on the flight deck is driven by highly prescriptive, and thoroughly documented processes. We have regulations put in place by the regulatory authorities like CAO, the FAA, CASA. The aircraft manufacturers publish procedures too, task-sharing, techniques for operating the equipment they produce. And over the top of all this, the airlines publish their own documentation to establish how they want their aircraft operated to meet all of the regulatory obligations and manufacturer limitations. With well-defined processes, a lot of conflict can be resolved and personality removed by a clear focus on not who is right, but what is right. Another part of avoiding conflict, based on the who, what, when and how, is shared mental models. I include this as part of process, as sharing information and conducting briefings is a large part of our process on the flight deck and how we establish a shared mental model. A big part of establishing a shared mental model is the use of briefings. All departures and arrivals are briefed, both what is anticipated and contingency procedures. How we will depart or land? What if we have a problem on the runway? What if we have an engine failure? What if we can't land? Our briefs are threat and error management based, identifying threats and the means to mitigate them. Crew resource management best practice is used. Briefs are interactive with input sought and other pilots given the opportunity to brief their own roles, ask questions for clarification, Or make suggestions. Briefings are usually conducted by the pilot flying. By them sharing their thinking and plans throughout the flight it gives others an opportunity to either buy into the shared mental model or to speak up. We maintain a shared mental model throughout a flight by a continuous sharing of information as it comes to hand. Information that appears to mean little to you may very well be consequential and serve as a trigger for someone else in the team. To wrap this all up, conflict occurs when people believe they have incompatible needs or goals and feel strongly about their position. The main areas for potential conflict are task, team processes and interpersonal differences but the opportunity for conflict can be mitigated by establishing a culture or environment that encourages open dialogue and constructive dissent, using tools such as RAISE to constructively approach conflict situations, and using documented processes and procedures supported by a shared mental model to provide clarity on roles and responsibilities. Until next time, Thank you for listening to the Like a Pilot podcast. For more information, check out the show notes at philwilkes.com forward slash podcast. The Like a Pilot podcast is written and produced by me, Phil Wilkes. If you'd like to support the Like a Pilot podcast, our Patreon page is available at patreon.com forward slash like pilot. And if you've liked the show, please remember to rate, share and review.